0: Well, good morning again. Well, I hope you had a, a good week, and, and I hope you enjoyed the All study, studying that first week. It's just really neat to know that as we study, as we gather, we're all studying the same thing. We're all wrestling with what it means to behold the face and glory of Christ. We're trying to figure out what it meant that, that Moses' face was shining, and what that glory meant in light of us. So. Blessings to you as you continue to meet and gather and study. This morning we begin (coughs) week two of our study. And I wanted to begin by asking this question. How do you respond when you face difficult situations? Okay, how do you respond when you face difficulties? How do you respond when you're on your way to school and there's a classmate who just picks on you? How do you respond when you receive a letter in the mail and you're rejected to the college you've always wanted to go to? How do you respond when there's an overturned big rig on the 10 and you're stuck in traffic on your way to work? How do you respond to difficulties in your life? How do you respond to your supervisor calling you in at work to let you know that you've been let go? How do you respond to your significant other telling you it's over? How do you respond when you get news of a loved one diagnosed with cancer? How do you respond to difficult trials in your life? I want you to take a moment right now to think. How do you respond? Think. Okay, be honest, you can write it down, think. How do you respond to trials? Now maybe for some of us, our response is anger. We're angry at others, we're angry at ourselves. we're angry at God. Man, I knew I should have taken local streets. If only the kids had behaved, I would have been out of the house sooner. God, why do you do this to me? You know that I have an important meeting with the higher-ups at 8 a.m. Or maybe our response is indifference. Well, I never liked that guy anyway. That college is too big. Now who, who needs this crummy job anyway? Or maybe our response is quiet bitterness. Oh, she's gonna get hers. Oh, you're gonna fire me? Just wait until I get a better job. What are you gonna do then? But how many of us would respond with joy? Anybody, can I get a raise of hands? Anybody respond with joy? Okay, be honest here, no Sunday school answers. If we're completely honest, joy is the furthest from our minds when we face difficulties. It's not a logical or rational response to difficult, hard, suffering, pain. And yet, joy is the mark of the Christian in the midst of trials. In fact, God calls us to rejoice when we face trials of various kinds. How is that even possible? Turn with me to James chapter one, beginning with verse two, and let's find out. Why should we rejoice when we face trials? Turn with me to James chapter one, beginning with verse two, and let's find out. Now James is towards the end of the Bible. Revelation is the last book, you just have to go up a couple books. It's right after Hebrews. James chapter one, verse two. Why, why, why should we rejoice when we face trials? We should rejoice when we face trials because God is at work. We should rejoice when we face trials because God is doing something. We should rejoice when we face trials because God is at work in us. Let's read verse two. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Stop right there. James is a brother of Jesus. He's the lead elder in the church in Jerusalem. And here he writes to Jewish Christians scattered outside of Israel. We see that in verse one, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now you can imagine the Jewish community being marginalized outside of Israel. But how much more would the Jewish Christian population be marginalized, oppressed, outside of Israel? And so it is here that James writes to these Jewish Christians and he says count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count, that word count in verse two, it can also be translated consider or think. It's not so much a feeling as it is a thought or belief about a situation. And so here, James is saying, consider something seemingly so bad as something good to rejoice over. Believe that this difficult, painful trial is actually something good to rejoice over. Count it all joy. This phrase, all joy, this word all, It's not quantitative, he's not saying count everything as joy, so much as it is qualitative, meaning count it pure joy, count it perfect joy, count it complete joy. And here he says, my brothers, of course referring to brothers and sisters in Christ, Christians. When you meet trials of various kinds, Now, James casts a wide blanket of trials, trials of various kinds. He's referring to the trials we face as Christians in a fallen world. Whether that be disappointment, whether that be sickness, whether that be loss, whether that be conflict, and the list goes on. And so consider it, believe it to be perfect, pure joy, my brothers and sisters in Christ, when you meet trials of various kinds, whether that be disappointment, loss, suffering. You know, if we really think about it, we are to rejoice when we meet difficult trials because God is at work, right? God is at work and trials really are a perfect test It's a perfect test for who we really believe to be in control. So you who have prayed a prayer when you were six to accept Jesus into your heart, who do you believe is in control when things get difficult? You who have entrusted your entire life to Christ, who is in control when you face difficult trials? You who... Wear the cross, you have a fish on your car, you have he is greater than I across your chest. Who reigns when things are falling apart? You see, trials are a perfect test. Okay, you might say you believe God is in control, but when the rubber meets the road, who do you really believe is in control? Because get this, if God is really in control, if God is behind everything, and that means that your suffering is not meaningless. There's purpose in your pain. And that is something to rejoice over. If we look at this chart right here, you see there's two, there are two responses to trials. Okay, you have trials, you can either look up and you can rejoice because God's doing something. God's in control, all right? He's doing something, He uses everything It's a very Christ-centered, God-centered response in the midst of messiness. You see all that messiness. The alternative to that, the alternative to that is to respond to trials by looking very inward. It's a very self-centered response. You're trying to control the situation. You're blaming others. You're growing bitter. You're growing angry with others. And that only leads to despair and, and trouble. And so for instance, it'd be like if you if you don't like the teacher in your in, of your child's class, and so you pull your child out of the class after giving the teacher a tongue lashing. Or are you so disgruntled at work that you quit even before they can fire you, not before airing out your grievances against upper management. You see, you're trying to control the situation. You're blaming others. You have a difficult situation. You're trying to get away from that. And you're experiencing bitterness, resentment, anything but joy. So why should we rejoice when we face trials? We should rejoice when we face trials because God is at work. God is at work. And really, this concept is not foreign to us. Hey, if we're lifting weights, right, and the morning after we're sore, we're happy, right? We're happy with that pain because that means that it was a good workout we were building muscle. If we're doing an exercise routine, and at the end of it, our, you know, our hands are on our knees and we're just like gasping for air and we're all sweating, we're happy because that was a good workout. In the same way, when we face difficulties and trials, we should rejoice. God's doing something. So why should we rejoice when we face trials? We should rejoice when we face trials because God is at work to build in us an enduring faith. We should rejoice when we face trials because God is at work to build in us a lasting faith. We should rejoice when we face trials because God is at work in us to build in us a lasting, enduring, battle-tested, fireproof faith and trust in him. Let's look at verse three. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, verse three, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now here James is again speaking to these Jewish people Christians, these oppressed, marginalized Jewish Christians. And he refers to these trials of various kinds, whether it be disappointment, whether it be loss, whether it be sickness. He says it's the testing of your faith. The language he uses here is one of refining, of purifying. It's like if you take a raw metal and you refine it through the fire so that at the end you produce something very pure and precious. That's the picture here. And he says that the, God is at work, what, through the testing of our faith to produce steadfastness. This word steadfastness is also translated perseverance, endurance, patience. And so God is building in us through these difficult trials, steadfastness perseverance as it relates to our faith. And so if we look at the chart here again, okay, we're looking upward, and we see that when we rejoice, when we acknowledge that God is at work, we see that he's taking us somewhere, okay? He's building in us somewhere, and you see that the cross is is bigger, it's stronger, it's a greater trust in God, okay? Now I wanted to to note here, if you can look at that chart, that you see these dotted lines that kind of fall, fall down. And I wanted to note that because we can look at this verse and say, God is producing in us steadfastness. Now I wanna be clear that it's not, God is not producing in us our own steadfastness, our own perseverance, our own fortitude, such that he brings us through a trial so that we can say, wow, look how great I am, I'm invincible. No, God is not bringing us through trials to have a greater trust in ourselves. The moment we do that, we look inward, we, we veer off that curve. God is putting difficult trials in our life so that we can have a greater trust in him. And so he corners us, he brings us to our knees so that we can have nobody else to turn to but him. And that is how he forges in us an unshakable, enduring, steadfast faith and trust in him. And so why should we rejoice when we face trials? We should rejoice when we face trials because God is at work. He's doing something. He's in control. He's at work to build in us steadfast, enduring faith. That's the spiritual muscle God's working on. That's the spiritual muscle he's trying to build. And it only comes through trials, difficulties. He's trying to build in us a stronger faith and trust in him. And so why should we rejoice when we face trials? We should rejoice when we face trials because God is at work to build in us an enduring faith to ultimately perfect us. You see, God is at work through trials to build in us a lasting faith to ultimately make us more perfect, perfect and complete like Christ. God is at work through trials to build in us a lasting faith so that we can be more and more like Christ, perfect and complete. Let's look at verse four. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so if God is at work to build in us a steadfast, enduring faith, the ultimate goal, the end game really is that we could be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And what James is pointing to is a reality that we will not experience in this life. We will be perfect and complete when Jesus calls us home when we die or Jesus comes back to take us home. But this is the end goal. This is the hope that we look forward to. That we could be perfect and complete just like Christ. And so if, we, if you can imagine for the Jewish Christian This is a hope that helps them through difficult times because they can look up, they can rejoice while God is doing something. He's gonna bring me to a place where I am perfect and complete. If we think about the persecuted church and we think about them and we think about the hope that this points to Because for the persecuted church, the the temporary struggles and suffering are forging in them an eternal, unshakable, unbreakable faith. And I can't help but think of the Christian somewhere around the world who has been imprisoned for their faith, tortured, and about to be led to be executed. What does this verse mean for them? Has God failed them? No, I believe they hold on to this hope that they will be perfect and complete. They are about to die for their faith and praise God because he's forged in them an unshakable faith and trust in him that not even death can threaten. That's amazing. And so if we look at this chart again, we see that it trends upward, right? God is at work through trials, building in us a greater trust in him. The cross gets bigger. Christ is formed in us so that we can be perfect and complete. But this is a sober reminder. At any time, we can veer off this curve, okay? And I just want to be clear. This curve, this process what we call sanctification to be made more holy, more and more like Christ, for all of us, it does not look like a perfect curve. That's what God wants to trend us towards. Our curve looks like a Richter scale, right? In the earthquake, it goes up and down like that, but it's trending, okay? You look back 50 years, it's trending, okay? This is just a sober reminder for us, for those of us who have walked with the Lord 10, 20, 30 plus years. We've seen how he's brought us through trials. We've seen how he's forging us a greater trust in him. He's brought us through so many things, and yet at any time, we can look inward, we can take control from God, we can grow prideful, we can say, look at me, look at all I've been through, look how great I am, and we veer off that curve. And that's the pastor we read about in the news who falls to sexual sin. That's a a Christian leader we read about who is caught embezzling money. Be careful. What does James write? Let steadfastness have its full effect. Let God do his work. Don't get in that way. Don't try to take control. Don't grow prideful. Let that be a sober reminder for all of us. God's will be done. Let him complete that work in you. And so why should we rejoice when we face trials? We should rejoice because God is at work to build in us an enduring faith to ultimately perfect us. That's the end goal. That's what we can always look forward to, especially in the midst of difficulties. God wants to bring us to that reality. And so now, ask for wisdom to see this. Ask for wisdom to recognize what God is doing. Ask for wisdom to see what God is doing and respond accordingly. Let's look at verse five. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. James refers to wisdom here not as some practical intellectual knowledge. He refers to wisdom throughout this letter as a response, behavior, or attitude to a situation. In chapter three, he contrasts wisdom from above, which is very Christ-centered, God-centered, as being pure, peaceable, open to reason. He contrasts that with wisdom from below, which is very self-centered. Remember that chart? Very self-centered. And he refers to it as bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And so, if we look back at that curve, We see we're trending upward. God is taking us through difficult trials. He's trying to make us perfect and complete. He's working on us, right? At any time we can look inward, we veer off that curve. And yet wisdom, we pray and ask God for wisdom from above to get us back on track. We ask for wisdom to see, God, what are you doing? Help me align myself to that. And so pray and ask for wisdom so that you can see what God is doing. So why should we rejoice when we face trials? We should rejoice when we face trials because God is at work to build in us an enduring faith to ultimately perfect us, so ask for wisdom to see that. There's an account in the Bible that I believe perfectly illustrates this. How to respond in the midst of trials. What do we ask for? What do we pray for? You see, Jesus takes his disciples away, gets on a boat. The wind starts picking up, and then it becomes a full-on windstorm. The waves are crashing, water's coming into the boat, the disciples are panicking, and they're saying, where is Jesus? pause for a moment, how would you respond in that position? And so the disciples, they race over, they find Jesus in the stern, he's sleeping of all things, they wake him up and say, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Jesus gets up, he famously speaks, peace, be still to the wind. The wind stops, the waves die, there is perfect peace. And isn't that what we want in the midst of trials? God, make it stop. Right? Jesus, just make it stop. Calm the storm. Bring peace to my situation. That's what we want, right? And yet, remember Jesus' response to his disciples. It wasn't, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for waking me up so I can calm the storm. No, Jesus reprimands his disciples. And he says, why are you afraid? Have you little faith? So how are we to respond then in the midst of a trial? How are we to respond when we're already late for work and the car doesn't start? Or we get the results from the final and we flunk the class we needed to graduate? or we get a phone call from the school telling us that our child is hurt and needs to be sent to the ER. The wind is picking up. Water's coming into the boat. How how, how do we respond when when someone hacks into our account, steals $50,000 in savings? How do we respond when the biopsy results come back and it's stage four cancer? How do we respond when the depression is so heavy that you cannot get out of bed in the morning. You see, it's not just raining anymore, it's pouring. And if we're not supposed to ask God to make it stop, what are we supposed to ask for then? What are we supposed to ask for? Maybe it's this. Jesus, if you're here, show me. God, if you're at work in the midst of this craziness, show me. Because isn't that all that we really need to know? God, if you're in this boat with me, show me. Help me to know that I'm not alone in my pain, that my suffering is not meaningless. Show me you're here. And then we can rejoice because God is here. Rejoice for God is with you. Rejoice because Jesus will never leave or forsake you. Rejoice because he is with you, lo, even to the end of the age. Rejoice, for you are his. Rejoice, for you are his. Rejoice, again I say, rejoice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, God, I don't pretend to make light of whatever we're going through right now, We know that we are facing difficulties and trials, but we acknowledge you are in control and you are trying to teach us something throughout all this. Give us wisdom to recognize that. God, you're in control. You're doing something. You're at work. And I pray for the life of our church. We would always look to you. We would rejoice because you're doing something. We may not know what it is right now, but you're doing something and it's to build a greater trust in you. So for that, we rejoice. We thank you. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you. You never leave or forsake us. We thank you that you want to do something in us to make us stronger in you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.